as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And to the republic for which it stands. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One nation under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized. T minus 15, legal anatomy of current events. SC ready and green to go. T minus 14, FOS ready, green to go. T minus 12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T minus 11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events, green to go. T minus 10, internal power, green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7. We have ignition. Five, four, commit for launch. Green. Three, two, one. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal anatomy of current events, all for you. Now, on the air, target locked. Hello, America. Welcome to our podcast. This is the Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell, along with Brad Pollack. We call our podcast The Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We've designed this podcast. This is our inaugural show. We've designed it so that you will have a complete breakdown. That's why we call it Legal Anatomy, a breakdown of the legal part and the law analysis of current events as they occur in our country. And we're going to try to do it every week and give you the breakdown, the explanation, so that you understand it. And you can contact us anytime, if you'd like, at info at legalanatomy.net. That's info at legalanatomy.net. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We are attorneys. We practice law in Colorado. And we want to have this show give you the information on current events. And, you know, we get asked questions uh, that says, what, what about that? How can somebody do that? You have a current event. You have something in the news. How can somebody do that? How can they do that? Ever heard that? What's the basis of them doing that? And so we're going to try to cover these current event subjects each week for you, for your information, for your education, and we're going to try to have a little fun along the way. Okay, so that's our explanation of legal anatomy. And we've trademark protected this concept, and we're glad to bring it to you. And we kind of call it anatomize your mind. Anatomize your mind, meaning learn how to break down and analyze the legal parts and legal analysis of current events. It could be something the Supreme Court does. It could be something the legislature does. It could be something that happens in court. It could be something that involves the police or citizens. And we're going to give you the legal analysis, and we're glad to do it. As I said, this is our inaugural podcast show. Gary Bell, 
Brad Pollock, and we're glad to do it. Today's subject, we're going to talk to you about mass torts. You hear mass torts always in the news. There's a mass tort about a product. There's a mass tort lawsuit or lawsuits about a service. And so what is a mass tort? What does mass tort mean, and how does it get started? And so let's start there on our legal analysis on our first inaugural legal anatomy show, Brad. What is a mass tort? How does it get started, and how does it progress down the uh, legal channels? Well, going back to its basics, we've got to talk about what a law is, or I'm sorry, what a tort is. Uh, We hear mass torts, and and, the the minute you start talking about something like that, you're talking um, what we would call uh, lawyer language uh, about a tort. A tort is a wrongful act or an infringement of a right. Uh, leading to civil legal liability. So when we talk about mass torts, we're talking about mass, a a, a great many, uh, over a large group or a large significant geographic area of um, where there's been an infringement of rights of a person uh, other than under a contract. If it's a contract, then it's a contractual case, and it's not a tort case. Tort cases, when you have personal injury, it leads to civil legal liability. And so what we're talking about is we're talking about the, the, the most common one, I think, that people can recognize or can associate with is a car accident. When you get into a car crash, you're talking about a legal right that's been infringed upon because you have the right to not have somebody cause uh, a crash or to run into you. You can have the same thing with a slip and fall. Those are mass torts. Those are, or that's a tort that, that where somebody has has um, come into your your uh, or you've gone into somebody's premises or you've gone onto their into their restaurant or into their uh, place where they might have some kind of uh, uh, operation where they're carrying out business and you you fall or you have an injury uh, that there's no contractual relationship there but there is a relationship where you expect the property to be safe for you and to be properly prepared for you, or you expect people to be driving correctly. And when they violate that right and it causes injury to you, you have what's called a tort action. And that tort action is a personal injury action. So when we talk mass torts, uh, I think we can be talking about mass personal injury. And when we talk about mass personal injury, it's past mass personal injury to individuals um, who have a right to expect that there's going to be something, to, uh, some kind of protection for them. When we start broadening that out, we start broadening it to now certain businesses uh, where you have the same uh, common action being taken for everyone. On a car accident, it's a, se- it's a separate, sim- simple individual action. But when you start talking about, uh, the, uh, the, for instance, uh, drug companies, when you start talking about people who produce products that they are putting out on the market for mass use, for massive, for the use of many, then you start talking about a, a mass tort, which is an injury, a personal injury that affects many people, a large amount of people. Right. So you have uh, a mass effect. Let's just give you some examples here so we can explain it to you and, and break it down the legal anatomy of a mass tort. And what does it really mean? Let's talk about hernia mesh. Hernia mesh is a a product manufactured by different manufacturers. So they send it to the doctors, and somebody gets a hernia mesh implanted in them. This is just one example. There's also examples on Roundup. There's examples on Zantac. There's examples on 3M earplugs. And so a product is manufactured, and it's defective. 
Not all products are defective, but this one is a defective product. So they implant the hernia mesh in you for a hernia to solve the hernia problem, and, the, and then problems arise. For example, the mesh breaks down. The mesh adheres to the bowel system and dis, dissipates, and it causes many problems. Sometimes it causes revision surgery. So that's just one example. Let's talk about hernia mesh. Sometimes it does what we call migration. It migrates. It moves from one part of the body to the other. Sometimes it just breaks down, and part of it remains there and adheres to the bowel. Part of it moves through the body and creates all kinds of problems, maybe necess- multiple surgeries. So let's just take that product and so there's a product manufactured. That's what a mass tour is. It's distributed to many people, as Brad just said, right? And when it's distributed to many people, there's a defect in it. Now, Brad, we've done, we've done these cases before, so let's educate everybody on the fact that once there's a defect, what mass tort attorneys look for, and it's called discovery, and Brad's going to explain discovery to you in a minute, what mass tort attorneys look for is some kind of document or documents in the, in the company's files, they get to discover those emails. And some of these emails, would, would you, your jaw would just drop. They say to each other, executives say to each other, we got a defect, we got a problem with this product, but let's don't tell anybody. And the, but let's just market it anyway. And so when they don't tell anybody, when you find documents like that, that's what mass tort, uh, mass tort attorneys look for. So Brad, why don't you just give a, a flavor of the discovery process. You, you know, you have a mass torch, you have multiple injuries. It could be Zantec, it could be hernia mesh. They're being injured. But did the company know about this? And if they did, and they didn't warn anybody, that's usually the basis for the mass torch. Well, the discovery phase is usually one of the major reasons. It's not the only major reason, but it becomes one of the major reasons why uh, you need to have the multi-district litigation. You need to have mass torts combined so that you have a number of different plaintiffs that are able to carry out discovery. Uh, otherwise, if you're an individual person, I want any of you to think about yourself individually. Let's say you have been subjected to Roundup and you want to know whether or not uh, the company should have known about the injuries that are incurred from Roundup or the results from being exposed to Roundup. Uh, how do you get into a, a large company? Uh, how do you, um, Johnson & Johnson with their talc or their baby powder, how do you get into their records, into their uh, all their different uh, research analysts, uh, what they've written and what they've said and into all the different papers and all the different uh, scientific uh, studies that have been done and all the different scientific statements and how do you get into all the reports that every employee is giving every day in a company like that and get to look at them and figure out whether or not they knew that there was something wrong with their product, that they knew that there were going to be mass numbers of people who were going to suffer from the use of that product, either over a long period of time from continuous use or from one exposure. And what they did to warn people about that, uh, sometimes you can have a product got to back up for a minute. Sometimes you can have a product that can cause injury to certain people. And we see it now quite often on TV because they'll, they'll advertise a particular product company will, and they'll say, don't use this if you have the following or if the following occurs. That's a warning. That's a warning to you. 
and those should be taken as being very, very significant. And I, I sometimes I think that the way they rattle them off, that people are almost going, you know, okay, fine, now let me have the product. And that's, that's excluding you from a legal remedy in the event the product adversely uh, has an adverse effect on you. And... And the, the thing is, is that there can be a groups of people who have this adverse effect. And if a company knows that this could cause an adverse effect, then the company has a duty to give a warning. But how do you learn that they knew that this adverse effect was going to be more than likely something that was going to affect, even if it's 1% of their many users, if, if they're giving this this product out and you've got 20 million people using the product, 1% of those users facing an adverse effect could be a very significant number and could be a very actionable claim. Right. So you've got an injury here and we want to educate you about that. There's an injury on a product, mostly mass torts, mostly, I think you can take this one to the bank, are based upon failure to warn that the company knows about a problem, a defect, a connection with a disease, cancer usually, and they don't tell anybody. Think about it from the beginning. Let's go back to the genesis. A company wants to make out a new product. Maybe it's a drug, right? Maybe it's hernia mesh. Don't they have an R&D um, department, research and development? Don't they have scientists? Of course. And so what lawyers go after are the documents, the R&D reports. Sometimes there's warnings in the R&D reports to the executives of the company. But sometimes these are discovered after there's millions of sales. Suppose you're, you're involved in a company and the company is very successful marketing XYZ hernia mesh. And then we keep getting reports back from the field that they're migrating, they're breaking down, they're adhering to the bowel, they're causing physical problems, mental problems, okay? And then there's revision of surgery. And we get these reports, but we don't tell anybody. And then more reports and emails. And then emails between company executives that say, we're getting a lot of complaints here. We've got to do something. We've got to warn people. And, and sometimes they say, well, no, we're making too much money. We're making too much money. We can't stop the, the freight train. So those are the kind of documents, emails, letters, memos, R&D that lawyers look for in mass tort cases. So, Brad, let's talk about, let's talk about the science. Because when you have a mass tort case, we've, you, we've explained to everybody you have an injury, you have a product, uh, did, the, did the company know about it, did the company fail to warn, and once they get sued in this multi-district litigation, because there might be hundreds or thousands of cases, they consolidate the cases, then they attack the science. These companies defend these cases saying there's no science to prove that our drug caused Cancer. Let's talk about the science and let's talk about Daubert motions so everybody understands what Daubert means in this world. Well, a Daubert motion is a simple motion. Well, it's not a simple motion. It can be very complicated. But simply put, a Daubert motion is a motion that's normally filed by the defense. The companies is going to say there's no science to support your position that the injuries that your client is are, are complaining about are caused by our uh, make them more likely than they should have been, than they no normally would have been, to experience the injuries they experienced. There's no science that relates or links up the use of our product to the injuries that your client is claiming. And there's no science that, w that, that makes it more likely than not that, that, what, that we cause this injury. Uh, and they, they go first to the science. Now, this science can be very sophisticated. And we back up a step and we say, okay, 
what, what, what can be amazing when we have these lawsuits is they'll, they'll come in with these arguments and sometimes new studies uh, and new research to claim that their, their product couldn't have caused your injury. The science doesn't support it. And you're going, well, I've got science just the opposite. And by the way, how come you're just now finding out this science that you want to rely on and you didn't find it out before you put your product on the market? And by the way, why didn't you do our science and why didn't you follow uh, or consider our science back when you were putting the product on the market or continually reselling it? So the, the companies... You know, go back to step. They they we're talking about resources that you can't even imagine. We're not talking about millions of dollars. We're talking about billions of dollars available to the companies to fight these, and they will fight them, and they fight them for a number of reasons. And we can get into that sometime later in the show, or in the next show, or at a different time. But the bottom line is, is that you need a class action lawsuit a lot of times on that kind of situation, because or a multi district litigation lawsuit. And where you're, where you, instead of just combining persons, you're combining the lawsuits themselves for the purpose of discovery to be able to afford to carry out the necessary science, to carry out the necessary research to show that this product, if the company would have been doing its job, would have known what the what the problems were, what injuries could be or would be experienced over prolonged use of their product because most of the time the products deal with prolonged use. Now, hernia mesh doesn't necessarily, Gary, but other ones do. And, and then can, uh, can you afford to find the science that you can use against the company when they come in with their science? And, and, you know, we, we have a, 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 co- a coin phrased in, in, in our business of junk science as to whether or not they've gone out, the companies have gone out and found somebody to just say what they want them to say uh, using what we would call junk science because it's not accurate. So then you get the next step of having to find the necessary experts who can, who can debunk that junk science to say that this junk science doesn't apply to the product and it's just now being brought up. Well, yeah, and, and let's use an example like Roundup. So the fight there in Roundup is, does the science support the fact that you get non-Hodgkin's lymphoma for the use of, of Roundup? And the company has their own scientists, right? And they say it doesn't. There's no connection between Roundup and carcinogen and Roundup and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You must be crazy. There's no, there's no connection. And the plaintiffs, the injured people said there is a connection. Here's the science. So these, these, these lawsuits, these companies are facing multiple lawsuits. Maybe somebody in Albuquerque filed one. Maybe somebody in Oregon filed one. Maybe somebody in Maine filed one. And then they become hundreds and thousands of lawsuits. And then they become consolidated in what's called an MDL, a multi-district litigation. So that's what a mass tort is. And then the company wants to get rid of all those lawsuits, Brad. They want to file motions to get rid of them. And that's where the Daubert case comes in. That's D-A-U-B-E-R-T, a, a United States Supreme Court case that set the standard that if there's no science, the court can dismiss all those cases and get rid of them, even though they've been, they've been filed in Texas, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota. They're gone because the court finds there's no science. And so that's how important these Daubert motions are. So once the lawsuit's going, once the discovery's going, and then so let's explain, Brad, a Daubert motion, and then there has to be hearings in front of the court with the scientists testifying to prove either a connection or no connection to the product or the defect or the drug. 
Well, and once again, you're going to be going into a case where you're having to deal with uh, some d- a degree of sophistication as to what exactly the, the defense is claiming. And a lot of times you're wanting to know what you can do and how you can set it up so they, um, so, so you, can, you can have your necessary scientific research. Uh, and so you can prevent the unreliable or otherwise junk science from being heard as evidence in an expert substantive testimony. Um, you know, so the, the, the five factors that are considered is whether the theory or the technique in question can be and has been tested. That's the first thing. The theory can be and has been tested. When you start getting people who have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from the uh, from a claim of exposure to Roundup, do you have any theory or technique in, that, that, that says that this has been tested? Uh, now, sometimes you're going to find, and that Gary, that's what you were talking about earlier, you're going to find that this is sitting in the company's records where they have tested it or where they've decided we're not going to bother to test that because we don't know we don't want to know the result we're going to close our eyes to what might happen exactly brad and so they in discovery all the claimants attorneys want all the documents from the company and sometimes those documents disappear sometimes they're produced but think about the science if the if the injured person has to prove the science the science caused non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or the defect or the cancer, what better record, what better way to prove it, Brad, than to get the company's own documents where the company's own scientists say, yes, we agree it caused it, but let's don't tell anybody. Right. And, and, or we, we think it might be based on the ingredients of our, of our product, but we don't want to do that research because we don't want to see what the result would be. We want to get this out on the market because uh, how many of us would any of us uh, reject saying we just want one percent of the profits that are made from selling Roundup? I mean, stop and think about stop and think about that the kind of money we're talking about. So, Dobbert motion talks about that to begin with, and it wants to know whether or not the 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 theory or the technique that you're using to determine that it causes this product this this disease, whether it's been subject to peer review and publication. So we're talking about what, well, did it, did, did, uh, as, as the, the study that you're relying on, uh, been looked at by other people of appropriate qualification to be able to say that we've peer reviewed this, we've read it, it's been public, publicized, and we, we can make, we can uh, endorse it, the, the decision. Uh, is there a known po- or potential error rate? That, that, that should be discussed or that, you know, on your study, did the study you do, does it have a potential error rate and what's the existence of the, and maintenance of standards controlling the, the study to begin with? Were they being followed? And then finally, it's whether it's attracted widespread acceptance within a relevant scientific community. So you're dealing very strictly with the science of the product, exactly how it causes the injury. Right. But that's how these companies get rid of these cases. Imagine thousands of lawsuits pending, let's just say, on Roundup. And then all of a sudden, the company's lawyers files a Daubert motion to dismiss and get rid of all the cases. And they say, we filed a Daubert motion because there's no science to connect the cancer or the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma with our product. And if there's no science, then you don't have a claim and all the cases go away. And that's exactly how they do it. And one more time, if you as a claimant's attorney can find the document of the company that admits that science proves it causes the cancer, for example, 
then you're ahead of the, you're ahead of the program because the company already did the R and D and research and science for you. Right, and and just by virtue of the Daubert, that's a case. It was Daubert versus Merrill Dow Pharmaceuticals, and in that case, there was an argument that the use of that product. Uh, that there were serious, serious birth defects that were the result of the mother's prenatal use of Benedictine, which was a common pr- product that was used at the time. And it was back in 1993. And the, you know, Dow came back or Merrill Dow came back saying, wait a minute, you don't have science to say that that's the cause that that the, your the the birth defects in these children is being caused by the mother's prenatal use of benedictine and because it you you can't link it up with the science with what we talked about the five factors of a not just somebody coming in saying that's the way it is or not just some uh, lab uh, you know off in a corner somewhere uh, came to that conclusion but you've got to have you've got to meet these standards that we require for it to be scientifically sound and not quote junk science the funny thing about it is that while dow and all these pharmaceutical companies were wanting to to impose this criteria the funny thing is on some of their products if you get into it you find out that they were when they were researching it and trying to make sure it was safe or claiming they were trying to make sure it was safe to mass produce and sell on a mass basis they didn't follow their own standards they didn't follow those same standards to come to that conclusion, and that's why you need a lot of discovery. Right, that's why you need discovery. Okay, so today we're trying to educate you about mass torts. Uh, you're listening to the uh, Legal Anatomy of Current Events podcast uh, by Gary Bell and Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell and Pollock. We're located in Denver, Colorado. This is our inaugural podcast show. We're going to do a show every week on current events in the United States, could be the United States Supreme Court, could be the legislature, could be lawsuits, it could be products, it could be events, it could be civil rights, it could be anything. And we want you to anatomize your mind. What does that mean? Break down in your mind the components of the current event, and we're going to give you the legal, legal analysis, and we want you to learn how to do this, and we want you uh, to be informed. If you want to contact us, you can do it. You can email us at info, I-N-F-O, at legalanatomy.com. Net. That's info at legalanatomy.net. Okay, Brad, let's end the show. Let's have a little bit of fun. We're going to do this every show. We're going to talk about an American idiom here, and, we'll, and maybe you're going to enjoy this, and we're going to talk, give you a quote every show. So what's the American idiom we're going to talk about today? And you guys can email us and see what tell us what you think about this American idiom just for a little bit of fun. Well, I'm not going to give the, the result. I'm just going to say uh, there's an American idiom called a storm in a teacup. A storm in a teacup. Storm in a teacup. So yeah, what so, does that mean, right? So any of you that think you've got it, send us your answer. You, know, a you storm can email in us. A teacup. A storm in a teacup. You can email us at info at legalanatomy.net. All right, and we'll be glad to do it. And our quote of the day. Make, make sure you leave your name. And you give us your name so we can announce if you actually came up with the answer to what a storm in a teacup means. Storm in a teacup. Okay, and our quote of the day comes from Bob Hope, right? Talking about banks. I love this quote. Bob Hope, Hope said, a bank is a place that will lend you money if you can prove to the bank that you don't need it. You can think about that. You listen to the Legal Anatomy podcast. We're here to educate you. We're here to break down current events and give you a legal analysis on it. We're going to do it every week. We're glad to do it. And thank you for listening to our inaugural show.